Jesus is mocked on the cross. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved, him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Thank you. Well, those who were here last week, I know I said it was the last in the series uh, that I was doing about being the adult in the room. But really, the story that we hear today is an example of everything that we've been speaking about in the last few weeks during Lent in action. You know, throughout this whole story, it's Jesus who stands as the adult in the room. It's he who sees what's going on, and it's he who takes responsibility for what's going on. Around him, you've got the crowd, you've got Pilate, you've got the priests, you've got the soldiers, the disciples, all of whom are affected by what's going around them, going on around them. Actually, it's only the women who stand firm and minister to Jesus on the cross. Everybody else is at the effect of what's happening. And it speaks to us, I think, now about how we act in the, faith, in the face of the onslaught of life as it comes towards us. You know, to what extent are we tossed around by circumstances or how much can we stand our ground and take responsibility? You know, it is easy to cheer and be a part of an adoring crowd, like as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. But you do get a sense that Jesus knew what was going on, and there was no glorifying of the situation by him. He knew that the crowd were using him for their own purposes. You know, they were seeing him as the saviour that was going to rid them of the Romans. They saw him as that king and to cure all their ills. You know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. It's something that they wanted to believe. But Jesus knew that he was going to his death. And, you know, grim-faced, he allowed it to happen. He was aware of something bigger going on that the crowd were ignorant of. He had an insight that just enabled him to ride on. And the crowd are swept up in the wake of it all. 
you know, they're responding to their own prejudices and desires. And it's almost as if the crowd represent the small self, the samsara, the, the, the rational thinking mind. And Jesus is there representing the greater self with a greater understanding of what's going on. And when the crowd sensed it was in their own interest or desire to bathe for Jesus' blood, they did that too. You know, misinformed by the religious hierarchy, they chose Barabbas, a murderer, over Jesus. They wanted to see death and pain on the face of one who'd been so popular. It's like when the press builds somebody up and only to tear them down eventually. Both the building up and the tearing down is to serve the prurience of the public. And all of this was engineered by information supplied by their leaders for their own benefit. Nothing really changes, does it? And then the jeering on the cross from everyone, soldiers, robbers, passers-by, only the women standing firm. And that realization in the story of the centurion at the last moment, surely this man was the son of God. And the disciples swept along as well, being proud at the triumphal entry, bewildered when Jesus said that one of them would betray them, angry at the arrest, bringing out a sword and cutting off a soldier's ear. And Jesus stopping him and saying, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And then the disciples running away once they sensed that all was lost. They're pulled from pillar to post by their own fears. And Pilate, educated, vain, in fear of both his wife and the crowd, unable to do the right thing, so washing his hands of the situation, which is where we get the expression, he washed his hands of the situation. It's directly from that pilot. Nothing to do with me, he proclaims in his cowardice. And the chief priests and the scribes, fearful that they would lose their positions, scheming both to destroy Jesus and to curry favour with the Romans in the hope that this would secure them a place in the Roman hierarchy. They said, surely one death is worth the maintenance of the status quo. They, they saw the death of Jesus as the price for peace. And the soldiers, and you can see all these, all these people swayed by different things. The soldiers and the robbers and passers-by who ridiculed Jesus, laughing at him. If you're the king of the Jews, come down off the cross. He can save others, but he cannot save himself. And that laughter, that ridicule, was meant to make them feel better for what they were witnessing. It, it was really the only response that made sense of what they were seeing. All they could do was laugh. The only way they could deal with what they were confronting the way they made sense of their own culpability. And so all these people are trying to make sense of their own feelings and acting in a way that's going to make them feel better. 
They were swept along by their own desire to find some sort of firm ground in the world, to be certain, to be right. They wanted to be safe. And there's Jesus in the middle of it, seemingly totally passive, just allowing these things to happen to him. And yet, you know, we know that Jesus wasn't totally passive. You know, for the previous three years, he was incredibly active. You know, he was preaching, he was healing, he was traveling, he was inviting responses, he was defying the establishment, he was calling people out, he had huge crowds, Sermon on the Mount. You know, he never stopped in those three years. And yet the moment that he seemed to be at his greatest triumph, he stopped. He was carried into Jerusalem. He had the Last Supper. And then he was taken. And we know that it was not because of lack of feeling himself. We see him at the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says in the Bible, and being in anguish, he prayed most earnestly. And his sweat were like drops of blood falling to the ground. I mean, total fear. There were feelings that he was having there. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Here is someone with fear and yet not giving into it, not giving into that fear. He has all the same thoughts and feelings that might have swayed all the other participants in the story, but he doesn't give into them. He is actively passive as he allows the events to unfold. And he knows that it's not going to end well. You know, this Sunday is called Passion Sunday because it celebrates Jesus' willingness to experience pain. Yeah, and the word passion comes from the Latin word passio, which means to suffer. The word passio literally simply means to suffer. And you can see it, people suffering for their art, they're passionate for it. They're willing to experience fear in order to get the pain, willing to experience pain in order to get that painting done, in order to win that race. They're passionate. They're willing to suffer for what they want. And that's really one of the things that Jesus is modeling here. He's modeling the willingness to suffer. Everyone else in the story is really you know, it's all about how to avoid pain, except the women and the thief on the cross who says that Jesus will see him in paradise, who Jesus says he'll see him in paradise. And all the way through this, Jesus is modeling, he's actually modeling the way of love. He's saying that, yes, people are going to be horrible to you. Yes, it's unfair. Yes, you're not going to like it. But there is something greater at stake than all of that. That our lives are not about avoiding pain, but about representing the position of love. You can see that in childbirth. It's not about avoiding pain. It is about representing the position of love. It is about, as we've been talking about, being the adult in the room, being aware enough not to react, but to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is the act. That is the act of the adult. Father, forgive them for they know what they do. 
Most of the time we're like the crowd or the disciples or the priests or Pilate. We're swayed by others. We're swayed by our feelings. We're not in that zone of love that casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We're not in that. We're still in the zone of love, in zone of fear. But Jesus is there in the story. His life has led up to this, and he's fulfilling that role of the adult in the room for humanity. And, you know, we still feel the effect of that today. No matter what you say about it, we still feel the effect of that stand for love in our societies today. And whatever you like to talk about, you know, the more radical and, you know, ridiculous ends of different religions, you know, there are hospitals, there are schools, there are foundations, there is a move in society that has happened through making that step. And funny enough, you know, the good thief does see that. He, he gets to the point where he's got nothing to lose. You know, when you're up on the cross, you've got nothing to lose. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insights, insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. When we've got nothing to lose, we do tend to fall back on the truth. And that is a saving aspect. We fall back on the situation, and there is comfort there in that truth. And the women model, as well as the the thief, the women model that love. They're there for Jesus. Their attention is not on themselves, but on Jesus. And as such, they show, you know, the selfless role that's often played by women. Mary's also the first person to see Jesus after his death, but again, is not believed. The trouble with the story is that, you know, with the crucifixion, there's no happy ending here. I mean, you know, it's going to go that direction. It looks like it's going to end badly, and it does. You know, what you really want is, you know, if it was a Hollywood movie, you know, I always think it'd be great if books, you know, had different endings, you know, that you could read a book like Romeo and Juliet, they didn't drink the poison, you know. It's all all right in the end. In this story, you know, wouldn't it be great if someone came right and said, no, he's innocent, it's okay, take him down, no problem at all. It doesn't happen. You know, hold that hammer, he doesn't have to die. Doesn't happen. And so it's with our own lives, you know. We get the diagnosis and, you know, Often the radiologist doesn't say, well, hang on a sec, I can just see something here. No, I was wrong. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily happen. You know, the bank manager doesn't suddenly find funds for us. You know, often it does come to that moment. If we look at the way things are going with some of our fears, you know, they are going to happen. And, you know, that is part of the point of this story. We have to be willing, you know, to go through that suffering wherever it leads us. And more than that, another key aspect, not just about being with the suffering, but Jesus shows us here that we have to face that suffering alone. We have to face it alone. Yes, the women are there. You know, yes, we have family and friends around us, but the truth is that the deepest pain is faced by us alone. Because the truth is that we are alone. 
Jesus represents that for us on the cross. You know, the aloneness of it all. And it's only when we drop the complaints about how unfair it is, how wrong it is, how it's other people's fault, and take up a position of facing it on our own, that actually then we find the strength to face it. It's only when we get to that point of, yeah, it is me, I am alone. And we have to face, all of us are totally alone. We're all going to die alone. Yeah, friends will be around, but in there, it's just us. Because the resources to face life, and this is the lesson, are not drawn from outside. They're drawn from within. The lessons are drawn from within. We may get some comfort from those around us, but the truth is that in life, as in death, we're asked to face that suffering alone. And when we really get that, then the only place that we can go for our resources is within. And that's where Jesus drew from. He opened himself to being held by that greater being. It says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, but there are prophecies, they will cease. There are tongues, they will be still. There is knowledge, it will pass away. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And you know, that is the message of the passion. That we have to be willing to have our suffering or fear, and by reaching inside ourselves with that stilled, disciplined mind, we can find that perfect love that casts out fear. We can find that. Coming from that place of love cuts through both the fear and the suffering and enables us to continue through the pain. That, that's the message of this. And Jesus shows us the path of that love you know, he shows it in his words that he speaks from the cross. You know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's a key aspect in the relationship we have with, with our lives, with others around us. You know, forgiving even those who caused us the greatest pain. That message of forgiveness. And then that famous line from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know, it has to go as deep as that which is why those words are there. Jesus went through everything, even that thought of being completely forsaken, because, because those are not his final words on the cross. He didn't end with that. After those words came, I thirst, and then it is finished, and then finally, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Into your hands I commend my spirit. He went through that abandonment and finally asked God to take his spirit, showing that the love was still alive in him. And the challenge of the passion is to go to that point without giving in to the fear and the suffering. To be willing to have all that and then still return to the place of love. And you know, that is quite a tall order. But again, this message is not the message about the easy way. That's another message. This is not about that. This is a different message. This is about the reality of suffering and how to deal with it. It's what Jesus went through, all of that, to show us. And the message of hope is that we can go within 
and find those reserves of love if we're willing not to be swayed and deceived by everything else, by flattery, by mockery, by betrayal, by laughter, by cruelty, by ridicule, and even the prospect of death. And of course, next week is Easter. And next week we look at what it means to touch the results of that. And that is the nature of the resurrection. But to get that, you have to go through all these different stages. Let's pray. We do all pray for all those who are suffering at the moment, going through anguish and suffering. Particularly pray for the people involved at the shooting at Parkland, the suffering that's there. We pray for young people all over the world wanting a better future. We pray for the leaders, our leaders, that they will hear the voices of our young people wanting a better future. We pray for ourselves that we may be able to be the adult in the room despite our sufferings. Pray for those suffering in prisons, suffering in war zones, suffering from starvation and hunger and fear, those oppressed. Pray for those suffering in hospitals, And pray that your love may come through and touch them, even in their suffering. Pray for ourselves. Pray for those that we know are suffering at the moment in our lives. We just remember them in our hearts now. Pray for those who are Precious to ourselves. Pray for Patricia Nichols. Also pray for Patricia Hill, who's now receiving hospital inpatient care. Pray for Will Welsh and Barbara Orcutt, for Betty Van Der Veer, for Sandy St. John, for Father Joseph Boyle and Father Thomas Keating, for Bill Archer, for Ken Hammersley, for Nathan Morse, for Sophie Layton and for MJ Elijah. We do pray for all those suffering, illness and difficulty. Pray for those suffering illness. And we pray, Lord, that your healing power may come to them through love and in some miraculous way healing may come about in their lives. We open ourselves to the possibility of that healing for ourselves and for others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.